sign of a healthy community um, is one that both breathes in and breathes out. You know, saying if you only hold your breath, it doesn't work out that well, right? Um, and if you're only breathing out, you, you, that doesn't work that well. But a healthy community breathes in and breathes out, breathes in and breathes out. So over the last 20 years, especially through Roger Nix's leadership, Believers has done a great job of saying, how do we send people out to, to, to just be a healthy church, that this is what we do? If you're not into missions, you're like, what about, what about us? Um, well, that's what you're here for. Does that make sense? You know, what about Tulsa? That's what we're here for. Does it make sense? We're the missionaries in Tulsa. So both and is just this in and out. It's just a sign of great health. And man, that testimony just rocked me. First of all, parents, be encouraged about praying for your kids. Don't give up. We have, we have once a month a prayer session on Wednesday nights at John Free Leads of parents praying for children to know Jesus. Just persistence, persistence, persistence. Jesus was clear that he answers those prayers. Why do I have to persist? I don't know. It's over my pay grade. I just know he said to do it. Um, and then multi-generational stuff going on that's going to outlast the current generation. That's the kingdom right there. And so thank you, Lord, that we get to participate in that. We, we bless you for the glory that you're bringing to your son Jesus, Father, through the Crouch family, and pray you continue to enable them to do that with joy and strength in Jesus' name. Well, if you've been part of Believers for the last few weeks, um, we, you know we've done a series of teachings about what is worship, just defining it, and 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 really what I feel like the. The critical thing the Lord's asked me to do, at least in my role here, is just to continue to shore up our foundations, just the basic things. Because if you don't have the, you, you ever seen that illustration that if you're going a direction and you're just a degree off, by the time you make a lot of progress, you're way off, right? And, and so if we attend to the fundamentals, um, the fun part is y'all can run with whatever dreams Jesus puts in you. That's, that's the fun part. I, I don't have to think of stuff. Leaders, I, I'm not, and I, I can't think of all these creative things to do. I could say, but I can introduce you to Jesus and what it looks like to be faithful to him. And he'll just blow your head off with creativity of what he wants to do in your spheres of influence, like being a doctor. Um, so worship, what is worship? We've been talking about that and we, we're kind of doing who, when, where, why kind of stuff. And so we talked about why do we worship? And the reason we do is that God is glorious. And about three weeks ago, we talked about what does it mean that God is glorious? And it has to do with the weight of his character and his brilliance and his being. And it's really hard to give a simple definition because it's so large. But at its most simple, we could say is Jesus. All that we see in Jesus, the character of God, the beauty of God in Jesus in kind of in a cool prophetic moment, we said it was God's wow. I was gonna, I was gonna say it was God's wow, and I decided not to do it. And then one of the girls who was singing spontaneously just sing, started singing wow to the Lord. I was like, well, I guess he thinks this is wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Worship is the reasonable response to God's glory. You ever see something amazing? What do you do? You wanna tell somebody, right? You want to do something about it. And we see over and over in scriptures, when someone sees the, the glory of God, they like pass out. They like hit the ground. They're like worship. It's just the normal response to the power and beauty of God. So uh, two weeks ago, we, talked, we started talking about what is worship. And the first thing we just said, it's glorifying God. I was like, okay, it sounds, yeah, it's not very helpful. God is glorious, so we glorify God. What does it mean that we glorify God? Well, two things. One is that we embody the glory of God. Did you know God made us because he really wants us here? He doesn't need glory from us. He doesn't need anything. But he's so full of beauty, and particularly in his love for Jesus the Son, that's eternally been going on. Jesus said that the fathers loved me before all of creation. And so God gives glory to the son 
from all time and eternity over and over again because he loves him so much and that it's the spirit that's communicating this love and glory to the son. And so God loves being himself so much. He says, why don't I, just like I do this with the son, create something that could be the son's inheritance and we could share this love we have with one another and this glory with one another over and over again. So God makes humans and says, let me make them in my image. Why? Because this glorious character of God will be showing up through these people, through this creation. And so, did you know that just existing brings glory to God? He's like, look at Craig. I'm amazing. <laughs> look at Kevin. I'm amazing. So we embody the glory of God just by having the image of God in us. And the other is declaring. I was using the word describing. It didn't make enough sense to me. So I figured if it doesn't make sense to you, probably doesn't make any sense to you guys. There's this thing where that when you see it, you say it. Does it make sense? When you see the glory of God, you say, there it is. We can't really give God glory. He has all the glory. We are derivative. We are contingent beings. We are made by God. But we can say it when we see the glory of God. Does that make sense? So in other words, he's never going, he's never asking us for something he doesn't have <laughs> or something that he needs. He's not needy. But he gives us a chance to participate in what Jesus the Son does back to the Father. He's always glorifying the Father. If you want to just swim in this, go John 14 through 17. Just live there for a long time and you'll see how the Trinity does this beautiful stuff. So, we're going to continue on uh, with what is worship. We've been using this one sentence basically for this whole series. It's such a thick, thick sentence in Paul's letter to the Romans where he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And these first two sermons were just based on therefore. So we're moving slowly. Today we're going to talk about in view of God's mercy. What is this thing called worship? And the way we're going to do that is, again, the therefore is connecting the whole of what Paul's saying in that sentence to everything he said in Romans 1 through 11. And so what I'm going to show you in these 11 chapters, and I, that sounds a little overwhelming, but I always bite off more than I could chew. And actually, you have to see it here is this what I'm calling the story of glory from Romans 1 through up to 12 so that we know what's going on with that sentence or that phrase in view of God's mercy. OK, so I'm going to blow you through a bunch of scriptures. So hang in there with me and I'll do some summaries as we go. So here's the thing. For those of you who are like I'm a headliner, there will be one sentence at the end of the sermon that you need to know. You're like, are you kidding me? Why don't you just give me the sentence now, man? And the reason is because our journey there is really important to you understand what God's doing. Okay? So, so some other people like, you, you might want more detail. I don't know. But, but anyway, here we go. There's three parts to this Romans 1 through 11. There's a problem, solution, and then we have Israel in the solution that's really important for help us to understand what Paul's talking about. So here we go. So here's the problem. We've read this a couple times. We're going to read it again. This is where Paul starts what this journey of what the gospel is that get, gets us to Romans 12. I'll read it out loud. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their heart, foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images 
made to look like a mortal human being and, and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another, and they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. And so the summary of the problem here is misplaced worship. Misplaced worship is at the heart of all human brokenness. It's the heart of all the problems we have. Is We see that although they knew God, they didn't glorify Him as, as God. They gave thanks to Him. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images and then worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator. We see that this glory in worship are intrinsically connected. That's why when we define worship, we're talking about glorifying God. But what I'm going to do now is going to say, I'm going to take us further forward to say, well then, what are the consequences? What happens to us when we worship something other than God? And here's what Paul says. He said, because of this, what we just said, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even there were women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for the error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They, they're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Now, this next verse is so good and so important because notice we've, it's easy to see the word them and everything we've been reading up till now. And then Paul says, you therefore, reader, have no excuse. <laughs> You who pass judgment on someone else, <laughs> for whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Paul, in the next chapter in Romans 3, verse 23, he sums the whole thing up. He's talking about both Jews and Gentiles, anybody and everybody, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of sin and fall short of the glory. Now think about that. Hopefully that our talk about glory has opened up to you. What does that mean? The character and beauty and an image of God, something is we've fallen short of that because of sin. And so Here's the summary so far. The problem in chapters 1 through 3 is that sin distorted relationship with God and the embodiment of His glory in humanity. So it's like this. God is the source of glory, so if our relationship with Him is messed up, that's a problem. And then our relationship, the, the words Paul uses is opposition. We're enemies in wrath. God's angry about that. He's upset. He's hurt. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. And that the embodiment of His glory, it, it, it works this way. Our cho choice not to declare God's glory distorts our ability to embody it. Does that make sense? So if I, don't, if I see God's glory, I don't recognize it, it actually deforms me. We'll talk about it later, but you, you'll, you'll find that what you worship shapes you. So, Here's the solution. Paul gets to it in chapter 3, 
And so here's the sentence we just said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But here's, that's right in the middle of this idea that Paul says. He says, now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God. Now, the law being the, the Old Testament uh, ideas, commands from God of here's how to relate, live in relationship with me and keep the image of God intact in you. We've realized both Jew and Gentiles, nobody can do it. We can't keep it intact. We're all worshiping something else. Paul says, now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. They're not the way there. They testify of it. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. So let's look at what, what's going on here with the solution. The first thing is that the righteousness of God has been made known. Righteousness, the best way I think of, about it is that word right. Something's being set right. It's made right. And here we've got this whole thing of being right with God in relationship, right in ourselves and right with others. Okay? So the righteousness, everything getting fixed and put back together is revealed. And how do we get to it? All are justified. In other words, set right freely by God's grace just because He wants to. Through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood. What, God, what that's saying is sin has consequences. God's faithful to actually stick with those consequences. But Jesus in the sacrifice of atonement substitutes Himself for us. We're going to talk actually a lot next week about the, this sacrifice of what is that all about? But needless to say here, Jesus giving up his own life was enough to completely fix us. And here's what's really important. What was God's motive? The reason I say that is this. If you're like me, when we see at the very first sentence we read that God's wrath is upon us, that just doesn't make you feel good. If it doesn't bother you, you might need to read slower. <laughs> wrath. Wrath. What, what is that? Well, let's read this. It says, at just the right time, Paul says this, when we were still powerless, in other words, we could not fix our relationship with God. We cannot fix ourselves so we can embody the glory of God. We can't fix our relationships with others. We can't be righteous. When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. And we're not righteous. But anyone, you're just not going to die for a righteous person. Rarely. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And here's, this is the crux of the gospel. It is so critical that you're not going to get anything right in identity and what God's like and unless you really own and understand this sentence. Everything's there. Because the truth is, God is, God is upset about the defacing of the creation he delights in. Have you ever noticed you don't get upset about things you don't care about? Right? You, I mean, has anybody said to you, you know what? All my tires are low. And you're like, I'm not mad. I don't care. You know, it's like, you know, it's like I don't care about your tires. You know, but has anyone had a child who's like sticking their you know, fork in a light socket. What's your reaction? Seriously, what's your reaction? You're like, get it! Ah! Don't do that! 
The fact that God has wrath is a sign that He cares. That He cares about the defacing of creation. He cares about literally saying what is real is not real because He knows what that's going to turn into. But here's the thing, if you don't believe me on that, then look at this. God in His wrath, here's what He did in His anger. He sent His Son to die for us. His response to anger and disappointment is, how can I go lower and more costly to win them back? Do you understand what I'm saying? So, so it's, a, it's you know, inappropriate to say God's not wrathful because we see it all over the Scriptures. But His response to it is deafening love. It's, it's love that will harm Himself to get us back. And this is what we see about what is the glory of God when Moses said in Exodus 33 and 34, at his ultimate thing, he's just and deeply loving. And that's why the cross is so important. You cannot do a thing to be loved while you're a complete, failing, smelly sinner. He's in love with you. That's the gospel. That we meet Jesus the most potently in our sin. That makes you feel bad. Good. If they're wigging you out, you've got to sit there. You come dirty to Jesus. And he's in love. He's in love. He's in love. He's not over. He, he doesn't like it. Why? Because none of us likes to see our child defaced. None of us loves to see something we delight in, harmed and scarred. But he's in love. He'll do what it takes to heal us. Oh, Lord, may we have eyes to see by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit what you actually think about us, your creation, who you are saving from sin and all of its consequences. This righteousness, this being set right with God is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Two critical things about that. The first thing is, in God's rescue for us, He still gifts us and maintains our ability to make decisions. We can still say no. No, thank you. I think I'm doing fine. I don't need any healing. I would prefer to worship something else. And God, think about the level of pain it is to extend that kind of love and not require a response. I mean, listen, if I move someone's furniture, I expect a response, right? <laughs> you, just a thank you, you know? And he's not even asking for that. You don't have to. That's the nature of his love. He's in control of the world, but he's not controlling of our decisions. Make sense? And the beautiful thing is we can only just say yes by faith and trust that Jesus did enough for us. Isn't that crazy? I mean, it's crazy. It's the scandal that you cannot earn this. You cannot behave your way into wholeness. You can't do it. It's not possible. It's to be received by faith. Paul summarizes his argument in the first uh, Basically, three or four chapters, he says, Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins. He's raised to life for our justification, for everything being okay. I love message translation in Romans 5.1. It says, now that everything's okay between us and God. He goes on to say, we've been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So there's the story of glory unfolding here. What does that mean that we're boasting in the hope of the glory of God? Well, the first thing is that we get a restored relationship with God who is the source of glory. So we've been justified through faith. We have peace with God. Peace with God. A peaceful relationship. Isn't it great to have a relationship with somebody you're not wondering what they're thinking? You can sit by each other and not say anything for great periods of time because everything's okay. 
It's a sign of a good relationship, by the way, that you don't have to talk. We've been saved from God's wrath through Jesus. It's done. Over. We were God's enemies, but now we're reconciled to Him. So all the relational is gone. Many of us, and I'm including this, we we don't actually believe this, that God's not gone, I'm waiting to see if I really like this guy. I'm waiting to see if he's really worth being in the family. He is not thinking any of those things. It's, it's in clear writing in the scriptures. We're completely, completely good with God. He's not angry. Jesus handled this for us. See? The, one of the best ways you can test yourself to know what you actually think about God is notice how you feel the next time you fail. And if you can believe that your failure is one of the best places to meet Jesus, your life's going to change. The level of mercy you'll have on yourself and others will be shocking. It might start to look like God's mercy. Not only that, we start to see that the solution, in, in, there's a now and not yet part of the solution. There's stuff we'll experience now, stuff that's out in the future. That God starts to re- Restore the glory of God in humanity for those who have faith in Jesus. So we had just the sentences we read. We, we justified by faith, through faith, have peace with God, gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. What is that? Well, we glory in our sufferings. Isn't that wild that Elizabeth had that word today? I, I did, we didn't plan that. It just happened. Well, but God did there. Thank you. Yeah. We glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. God starts to rebuild and reform our character to start to look like His glory. The the love and beauty that is God in His character, He starts to reform in us. And what's so beautiful about that is He guarantees it by His own presence in our lives, by the Holy Spirit. He says we can hope, we can have hope that our lives are changing because the Holy Spirit keeps on whispering, I love you. I love you. This is going to work out. Hope's not going to disappoint you because I love you. I love you. I'm giving you power to do this. Do you know that that's what God's message in our ears over and over again is? That, that God's love is being demonstrated, poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit has been given to us. That's the message. In case you think that's weak, you've got to understand what God's love is like. Hebrews 12, the love of a father for a son means he disciplines him. Love is beautiful. It does all the stuff. But it's the fundamental motive of the wellness and the prosperity of the object that's being loved. We also get to see that God starts, so as we look through Romans, now we're going like about five through eight. Um, God's restoring the glory of God and humanity, not just in our being, in our character, but in our doing. Paul says, goes on to say at this beginning of Romans six, what should we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? In other words, we saw what was happening because of sin. Because of misplaced worship. But God comes with so much grace, it overcomes. It's stronger than our sins. But Paul says, well, well but should we just keep on sinning so there'd be even more grace? He says, no means. We're those who have died to sin. How can we live it in any longer? Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father. See, here's the story of glory. The glory of the Father, the brilliance of the Father raises Jesus from the dead. Guess what we get from that? We can live a new life. In our doing, our being, our ability to live out the character of God and the glory of God has been won through Jesus through dying with him and being resurrected. And the way it works out, you know, Paul says it's clear that there's, there, we got some habits 
in this old body of ours? Anybody notice that? Like, you know, you know that, you know, a piece of fruit at 10 p.m. is better than a pile of ice cream. Right? You know that. Yeah. <laughs> Shane's like, define better. Put the fruit in the ice cream. That's totally classic Roger. Roger Nix. There you go. You're not helping. Did you guys know what I'm talking about? Would you rather have short-term gratification, long-term consequence? Yeah, I think I would. Usually I would prefer short-term gratification, long-term consequence. There's something in us that doesn't, that we're still struggling with. Paul says, no, listen guys, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. But here's the best thing ever. Because if we're just left here, that sucks. You ever just tried to beat all your sins? It's a, it's a no win game. I mean, it works a little while. And then you're prideful that you did it. But here's the beauty. Paul says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who've been baptized in Christ, who have faith in Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And this is the beauty. If you live according to the flesh, in other words, your own strength, your own efforts, your own ability to do this thing, you're going to die. It's going to kill you. But if by the Spirit, Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So it's the Spirit who, in God's restoring our being into the character of God, that's encouraging and developing us, and in our ability to live out the character, the glory of God embodied in our lives, the Holy Spirit's giving us the power to do it. Isn't this cool? Isn't this cool? It's God, it's like, it's, he's restoring everything we had at the beginning, that he's giving glory. He's figuring out, this is the way I'm going to do it. I'm going to make sure I can continue to bestow my glory on the creation so they can enjoy with Jesus the Son glorifying me back. And here's the beauty here. We get a new declaration. So we're embodying the glory and we're declaring the glory. And here's our new declaration. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Not, not, not just, we are, you know, people on the payroll for being helped, right? But this is, a, this is a complete different upgrade. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves. You're not just on payroll so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. Think about this, guys. The same worship that Jesus, the same glory that Jesus gives to the Father in return, now the Spirit in us says, that's you too. Say the same thing. This is my dad. Dad, you're beautiful. I'm your son. Dad, you're beautiful. I'm your son. That is worship inspired by the Spirit. I can feel the pleasure of Father even as I'm saying. He's like, yes! Yes! This is what I made you for! You get to share in this Father-Son eternal love relationship that's mitigated. It's communicated by the Holy Spirit. So the very same Spirit that communicates the love from Father to Son and back from Son to Father is the one in us. We're in the line of fire of God's loving interchange in the Trinity. And now there's a, there's a not yet piece to this glory, this restoration of what God is doing that Paul talks about. He says, now for children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. For those of you who are nervous about retirement, here you go. We're heirs of God. All of creation is Jesus' gift from the Father. You see it over and over again. All, he, he is the heir. This creation is, an, is his inheritance. Hebrews 1, 2 says. So now we're sharing in this. Now, 
If we indeed share in his sufferings in this short-term thing of resisting sin, of dealing with being on a broken planet, dealing with a broken body, dealing with things we don't understand. But if we share in those sufferings, we will share in his glory. Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. He's restoring this glorious thing of his image and character in us. For all of creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. This is what's out in front of us, that we're experiencing some of the glory in giving, embodying and declaring some of the glory. But there's something so large that God's doing in us that all of creation can't wait to see it. And here's where Paul sums it up at the end of Romans 8. He says, we know that in all things, all these things that that he's been talking about in all that we might experience life, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined, he decided ahead of time to be conformed to the image of his son. Why? So that Jesus could be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. He wants so many more of images of the Son throughout this whole planet. And those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. And those he justified, where's this all going? He's glorifying us. He's glorifying us. We're made into the image of Jesus because God's glory is displayed in the face of Christ. He wants little images, this glorious image of himself throughout all of creation. So, there's a summary so far. The problem Sin distorted our relationship with God and our ability to embody His glory. The solution is God restores relationship with and glory in humanity through Jesus to become like Jesus. I know that's a hard sentence, but there's a lot in it. He's restoring relationship with Him and the glory in humanity through Jesus to become like Jesus. So one one last little thing you need to see here. This is chapters 9 through 11. Israel and the solution. Israel, Paul's heart is just aching. He said, I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Why? Because generally, if you read the book of Acts, whenever Paul brought the gospel, this good news of what Jesus is doing, he got kicked out of the synagogue and beat up. Generally, the very people to whom the divine glory was originally revealed didn't want anything to do with God himself through Jesus. So Paul's heart is aching to the point he said, I, I, wish, I wish I couldn't get to it. I, if I could sacrifice myself for my people, I would. But then Paul starts to think about it, and he says, well, what if God did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy whom he prepared in advance for glory? Who's he talking about? You and me, Gentiles. He's thinking about this glory. What if God, he, he, he wanted to do this first in us and so that those who, uh, Gentiles, were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of the Jews' disobedience. So they too have now become disobedient in order to, that they may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God's bound everyone to, over to disobedience so they may have mercy on them all. Operative word here is Mercy. It's talking about God's glory being restored and he's showing his mercy. This then leads Paul to one last thing. He just breaks into praise at the end of Romans 11. He said, oh, the depth of the riches, the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. And that's what leads up to, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. That's what Paul means by God's mercy. Shocking, thick, heavy, beautiful. 
So it's, here's the whole thing. The problem is sin distorted our relationship with God and the ability to embody His glory in us and actually bring Him glory, to worship Him. The solution, God restores relationship with and glory in humanity through Jesus to become like Jesus. And Israel's part in this is the whole story of glory through Israel to the Gentiles demonstrates God's glorious mercy and therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a reasonable sacrifice. Thank God. Ooh, it's good, isn't it? It's such a good story. You know, to believe in Jesus isn't just to say, oh, that's a good story I'm into. It's like, okay, I've met reality. I've met reality and I now know where, where up, is and up is and down is. This is reality. And so when we say, what is worship? It is glorifying God. It's embodying and declaring God's glory. But because every person in this room, every person in this room has been deformed by sin. And you can say, how could I do that? I, I, I didn't do all those bad things. I hope you were listening to the list. Because one of them just said disobedient to parents. It was right there with all those things. But here's, here's the deal. Here's the deal. If you wonder, is everyone ever sinned? The issue is this, is misplaced worship. Have I ever said, I'm the boss, versus worshiping God as the boss? And that's the fundamental deformation that happens in us. And my, my experience has been, everybody is deformed. <laughs> So, what is worship? Not only is it glorifying God, it's becoming like Jesus. It's that very restoration we just talked about that we're being restored to be able to embody and declare God's glory. That through the work He's done in Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, He's reshaping us to start to look like the character of God Himself. How do we know what that looks like? It looks like Jesus. And then to be able to declare Declare God's glory. What is that? I'm a son. I'm a daughter. Just like Jesus. So, Irenaeus said this. is another really poetic, beautiful way to say this very thing. If you want to know what the glory of God is, it's a human fully alive whose life is the vision of God. Think about that. God doesn't want us to be less than in any way. He's like, I want to bring you alive. And the only way to become who you're made to be is stare at Jesus and let him shape you in who you are and what you say and what you worship. So, fun stuff. What is worship? It's glorifying God and it's becoming like Jesus. Both. We need both. Glorifying God and become like Jesus. But here's a few implications that are really important so we don't get screwed up. First one is, what I worship forms me. That's what the whole chapter 1 and 2 is about. When you worship something other than God, who's the only one actually worthy of worship, it shapes you. Anna's going to do a sermon later about this, so I won't go way too deep in that. But one of the ways you can tell, one of the ways, you told me you were going to do that. She's looking at me like, what? You seemed pretty into it before. Um. <laughs> one of the ways you can tell about what you're worshiping is just see what you're like so for instance uh, just an illustration would be is if, if, if you know making money in business is your, really the center of your universe and takes most of your energy you'll notice that most of your relationships look like transactions why? because what your worship forms you it forms you in the image of the thing. Does it make sense? Or if, if you're convinced that you're the greatest thing that's ever lived, you know, I mean, which we all are, you know, in God's terms. But if we're trying to do it ourselves, then everyone I see is here to boost up my ego, right? I can say, oh, I'm worshiping me. And just so you know, you're all idolaters. Me too. I'm a recovering idolater. I'm glad to be here tonight, struggling with 
idolatry. What I worship forms me. Another one is this. Worship is a response to God's glory and to my transformation. This is super important. Because some of us try to be good, good boys and girls and uh, out worship. Worship comes from a response of seeing what God's like. Does that make sense? So if you're struggling with your emotions in worship, the first thing I suggest you do is try to remember reality. Has God ever done anything in my life? What's Jesus like? Is Jesus somebody worthy of any honor or attention? And then you start to realize, oh, I think, I think he is. Okay, and something starts to happen. Also, our transformation is worship to God, but we cannot transform ourselves. Man, my transformation is primarily God's work. This is a big deal. It's secured by Jesus, received by faith, and worked out by the Holy Spirit. I choose whether to participate. Now, even just participating can be a, a, a challenge at times, right? Just participating can be a challenge. But we need to know, this is way harder on God than us. He's the one carrying the majority of the load. And here's what's cool is participation and transformation is itself worship. Did you know that just not cutting the guy off and giving him a greeting? Saying, Jesus, transform me. You are worshiping. Because you are embodying the glory of God who's patient, who doesn't have to be right about everything. And you know God's right about everything? But he'll walk into things and just say, yeah, what do you guys think? Look at Jesus washing his disciples' feet. What is happening? Washing Judas' feet. And Judas takes off to betray him, and he says, now is the Son of Man glorified. Jesus, you're messed up, bro. Right? So humble. Okay, so. It's gone long, sorry. Eleven chapters, hard to do. Let's stand together. What I feel like is the most appropriate response, and I, I'm, I'm trusting the Holy Spirit, that he has, um, maybe there's been a sentence, maybe there's been an idea that, that he's grabbed as we've seen this story of glory. Um, but, but what I want us to do, if you don't know how to respond, can we just receive God's mercy? Because Paul says, in light of God's mercies, let's worship him. Worship is responsive. So could we receive God's mercy today? Maybe, maybe there's some mercy you think you don't deserve. Hey, guess what? You don't deserve any. That's what mercy is. You see what I'm saying? That's what mercy is. It's so unfair. And that's what the point of the cross is. It's so unfair. It's, so, it's such a scandal that Jesus took all the, the penalty of my betrayal on himself. So unfair. And that's, he's like, yeah, man, right? You want it? You want me to heal you? You want me to forgive you? So let's just take a minute and see if there's anywhere we could receive God's mercy. You love to give this, God. So show us in our hearts what you want to dispense mercy on us. feel like there's some long-standing family dynamics the Lord's inviting you to receive his mercy that that narrative is not true thank you Lord thank you Lord yeah redefine us Lord redefine us now as an act of worship we maybe also offer some mercy. But they don't deserve it. You are correct. That is the nature of the mercy we've been given. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 
finish together. I'm going to pray this out loud together. We've done it a few times, but if you've not seen it, give it a read. So you can mean it if you want to read it and pray it out loud with us. Some of us, are, this is going to have, some of this mercy stuff, you have to sit with a little bit. And will you, will you do something for me or just do it for yourself? Don't run from pain. Don't run from it. There's some spots that the Lord wants to give you mercy and give you the ability to give mercy, but there's pain in the middle of all that. And part of it is because we don't really believe he's going to give us mercy. He's just going to be like, I told you so. You deserve what you got. And that's, that's the world's thinking. That's, the, that's not the economy of God. We just read all. If you read Romans 1 through 12, if you want to see if it's true. So we just did. So don't run from pain. All right, let's, play, uh, uh, let's pray this out loud together. Father, in response to how much mercy you have given us, help us to offer to you our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. This will be our true and proper worship. Amen. I'm going to finish with praying for those far from God who are in relationships. Oikos map is a term we use to talk about relational networks. So let's bring to mind anybody who's yet to receive the mercy of God or they're running from the mercy of God. They did it one time and they took off. So now we're going to pray for them. Let's pray out loud. Lord, I pray for the people in my life who are far from you. Deliver them from the evil one. Bring them into your family and help them to grow as your disciples. Amen. May the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine on you, be gracious to you, and grant you peace. Have a wonderful week. We love you.